In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. May His blessings and mercy dwell upon us from now and forevermore. Amen. Welcome back to another week. Believe it or not, we're at week six already of this series. Um, and tonight we actually, after having spoken about how we can um, discipline the mind and the will and the thoughts and that sort of thing, now we are going to talk about uh, virtues, how to attain certain virtues into our lives. Um, because this is, um, as you know, this series is the road to leading to Christian perfection, how we can lead a perfect Christian life. So tonight we'll be talking in general terms about the pursuit of virtues, but we'll also be concentrating on two important virtues, which is obedience and patience. Who doesn't need obedience and patience these days? Maybe some people might say, no, I don't need obedience. I'm obedient enough. But definitely patience is a great virtue to attain. And just as a way of introduction to the pursuit of virtues, um, virtues are actually fruits that every one of us is required to have in his or her spiritual life and in their spiritual journey towards Christian perfection. That's why we hear, for example, the Lord saying to us, Therefore, every tree which does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, as in Matthew 3, verse 10. So the Lord tells us very clearly that there is importance um, to have fruit in our life. But before we go uh, any further, let's just take one moment to hear very carefully what the Lord tells us in the Gospel of St. John. Listen to what he says. He says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. For without me you can do nothing. John 15, verses 4 to 5. So the first rule in regards to bringing fruit into our life is that we have to remember this. Without me, you can do nothing. Without the Lord, we can do nothing. No one can produce fruit by his or her own effort only. It's God who makes us fruitful. Because we can, we can liken God to a farmer, a farmer who owns a land and who hires a servant to look after that land. And God owes that, owes that land and he owns you know, the seeds, he owns the fertilizer. He's the one who brings the rain and the sunshine in order for the cultivation process to happen. And he hires a servant to look after that land. This servant is you and I. So you and I as servants, we have to um, you know, till the ground, put the seeds in, uh, pull the weeds out, put the fertilizer in, and harvest the fruit of this labor. Because the Lord is the owner of the vineyard and we are the vine dressers. We are the ones who are working in his vineyard. And in spite, um, in spite of all the work that we might do, we really have no merit in what we achieve. Because it's the Lord who gives the increase. It's the Lord who actually gives the, um, the fruit at the end of the day. 
And that's why the Lord says to us, and I've quoted this verse to you in previous weeks, so likewise you, when you have done all those things that you are commanded to, say we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. That's the intention that we're meant to be having. Even if we do everything right, if we fulfill all righteousness, to say that we are unprofitable servants. And this is a sign of humility that the Lord requests from us. Or to put it another way, or as St. Augustine puts it in a very beautiful way, he says, O Lord, everything good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. Everything that is good in me is due to you. The rest is my fault. Now we have to remember also that virtues don't just happen. They just don't come on their own. We have to train ourselves in the appropriate way in order to attain these virtues. And St. Basil the Great says, As the wrestler is tried in the ring, the soldier in battle, the hero in adversity, so the Christian is trained in trials. So it's only through certain trials that we are actually trained in order to attain these virtues. And virtues are often likened to a ladder. If you can think of a ladder, that has many steps that leads to heaven. Some of the virtues are on the bottom of the ladder, some of the virtues are on top. And the fathers tell us that we should not skip you know, one, um, one part of the ladder to go on to the next without going through uh, in an orderly fashion. So you have to go through one step at a time in order to um, achieve the results and achieve them safely at that. At the bottom of the ladder, there are two basic virtues that we will speak about tonight, which is obedience and patience. On top of the ladder, there are higher virtues that we can try to also attain once we have mastered these lower virtues. And these are like humility and love. And love, of course, is considered as the highest of all virtues. It's often called the all-encompassing virtue. And one has to um, have love uh, in order to have all the other virtues as well. So it's a connection. It's like an ongoing connection or like a circle. And in training for virtues, we have to, um, we are actually advised by the church fathers that we have to take one at a time. Once you have finished uh, training for one virtue, then you can go on to the next. If you skip one and you try to attain another, then you might find that it actually does not work, work for you. Because virtues are actually accumulative. By that I mean that training yourself in one virtue makes it easier to attain the next one and so forth. For example, if you train yourself in obedience and patience, meekness might be within your grasp. And once you have mastered meekness, then you are actually very close at the doorstep of humility and so on. So training for one virtue equips you to be ready for the next one and so forth. But training needs a trainer or a coach. And no one can make it in athletics, for example, without a coach. And they cannot be successful without having a proper coach that they listen to. And also we, as athletes for Christ, we need to also have a spiritual coach. And this spiritual coach is your father in confession. He should be in charge of your training program, so as to speak. And many people have actually discovered uh, the perils of actually doing it on their own. A person without a guide is actually uh, can end up into a lot of uh, problems and a lot of issues. 
And that's why I suppose that obedience to my father in confession is a must. Otherwise, how am I going to be trained in order to achieve these results? I can't do it. And St. John Climacus, in his letter of the Divine Ascent, says something very interesting. He says, he who is sometimes obedient to his father and sometimes disobedient is like a person who sometimes puts lotion in his eyes and sometimes quicklime. You see the huge difference? When you're obedient sometimes and disobedient sometimes, it's like putting good lotion to help the eyes, but it's also like sometimes putting quicklime, which is very dangerous for the eyes. And he goes on to say, For it is said, when one builds and another pulls down, what profit have they had but labor? In other words, if my coach or confession father is trying to build me up into a certain way and I'm not obedient, then I've actually uh, pulled down. So as one builds, another pulls down, and then there is no profit in the end uh, for the labor that they have both put in. So obedience and patience are considered as prerequisites for all other virtues. You cannot have any fruit in any virtue if you have not mastered these two basic virtues. And the reasons given for that is that if I have no obedience, then I will not be able to follow the instructions that are given to me by my trainer. And obviously there will be also no progress. And likewise, without patience, I will not also be able to persist in order to, um, for my training to bring fruit and to bring results. That's why in the parable of the sower, our Lord says, But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So important that this patience um, is, is, um, you know, is a virtue and a basis for all other virtues so we can attain this fruit. Okay, let us now consider some practical techniques uh, in the training for obedience and patience. Firstly, obedience. And obedience, I suppose, if we want to just sum it up in a spiritual um, manner, it's really um, subjecting your will to the will of another, when you think about it, just as a sum up. So you're actually submitting your own will to the will of someone else. And the fathers of the church or the fathers of the desert took great pain in training their novices and their disciples in this very important basic virtue. For example, we all know the beautiful story of St. John Kilopos or St. John the Short, who was told by his trainer or his master or his abba to take a dry piece of wood, stick, to go plant it and to water it daily, even though the water um, you know, was fetched from miles and miles away. But he was told to plant this dry piece of wood and to water it daily. Another abbot told his novice to stand at the door of the monastery and to bow himself down to everyone entering through the door and begging them and saying to them, please pray for me for I am a leper. Imagine the humiliation that that person would have received. So these uh, training exercises to you and I might seem very ludicrous. But all this shows how serious those fathers of the desert uh, took the training for virtues. And before we pass judgment on this very difficult technique that they use um, or had used, 
please let us look at the results of the fruits of their labor and persistence. After years of toiling to bring water to water this dry piece of wood, this dry piece of wood budded and became a tree and gave fruit. To the extent that the master or the abba took this fruit to the other monks and said to them, come eat of the fruit of obedience. So it brings results. Obedience brings results. And are supposed to be truly obedient, you do not have to agree with the request that is being made. In actual fact, the more objectionable the request that is made, the more reward that you will get for your obedience. Because um, the harder it is, the more reward that is kept for you. When God asked Abraham to offer his only son Isaac as a burnt offering, we do not hear that Abraham stopped for even a moment to think or to even question if this request was reasonable or not. He did it, and he did it by all intention. In actual fact, he did it by intention. He sacrificed Isaac by intention. Of course, God did not intend to have Abraham slay his son, but God gave Abraham this seemingly unreasonable request in order to test his obedience and to leave us an example of how to be, obe to be obedient as well. And Abraham was uh, rewarded generously for his obedience um, you know, in the way that he uh, accepted God's uh, request to offer his son Isaac. And in the same manner, you and I will not score points if we're obedient in the things that we like or agree with. You score points when you actually practice obedience in things that you, that you might disagree with or not even like to do, but you, out of obedience you, you do them. For example, if my dad says to me, get dressed because we're going to go have dinner at your favorite restaurant, and I'm obedient, I don't expect to get a reward for that because it's something that I like. It's something that I, um, I enjoy. So I don't think that we will be rewarded by God for this kind of obedience. But if my dad says to me, help me mow the lawn or um, take out the rubbish, or mom says do the dishes, or, or it's any other difficult matter that I don't like doing, and I say yes, dad, or yes, mom, that is when we get rewarded. And of course, I must say here that you get even more rewarded when the order comes from your wife or your husband. It's very important for those who are married. When it comes from a wife or husband, there is more of a reward there kept for you in heaven. So I suppose what I'm saying here is that the motive behind my obedience has to be important. Why am I being obedient or disobedient? The motive for obedience is very important. One of the fathers of the church, his name was St. Maximus the Confessor, he said something very nice. He said, as has been said many times, in everything we do, God examines our motive to see whether we are doing it for his sake or for some other purpose. Thus, when we desire to do something good, we should not do it for the sake of popularity. We should have God as our goal, so that with our gaze always fixed on him, we may do everything for his sake. Otherwise, we shall undergo all the trouble of performing the act and yet lose the reward. Because if you're being obedient for the sake of another human being only, you will do the act, but maybe the reward will not be there. 
Also, one important aspect of obedience that it should be in the Lord. It has to be through Scripture and the commandments of the Lord. That's why, for example, children are commanded to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. As St. Paul says in Ephesians, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the request has to be made according to the teachings of Scripture and the Bible, because we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, how do we then train for obedience? First and foremost, you need to consult with your father in confession. And you need to sincerely pray for God to help you and to sustain you uh, during this work so that you can start the work of training. And the recommendation is that you start actually very early in the morning when your day begins by reviewing the chances that God may give you to practice this wonderful virtue. So start by making first and foremost a resolve in your own mind and in your own heart that you're going to be obedient throughout the day, whether it be to parents or to your teachers or to your husband or wife or anyone else for that matter. The resolve, when it happens inside the heart and inside the mind, it becomes a conviction. You are convinced then that you are set on that track and then you're not going to change it. And once... Once you've made that resolve, you need to say to yourself, I'm not doing this for anyone, but only for God's sake. And once you have made this resolution, you need to do it without any hesitation. So in other words, when the, um, when the request is difficult, don't back down. No, say, this is actually a huge test that the Lord has put in front of me to see whether I can actually um, excel in His virtue or not. And it may be hard in the beginning, especially if you are asked um, to do some task uh, at a difficult time when you don't want to do it or during your most favorite TV show or whatever. So there will be times when you are questioned at the most awkward time and you need to say to yourself, this is my chance. What am I going to do? What's my resolve here? And when you force yourself to do it for the sake of succeeding in your efforts to implant this virtue in your soul, then you can only become better and better and you become actually more professional at it. If the task is boring you to death or the task is very difficult, then try to assure yourself and say, my parents think that I'm obedient to them. They don't know that I'm doing this for my own good because you're the one who's going to benefit. Yeah, they'll, they might benefit from the act, having it done, but you are the one who's going to attain a virtue and to have that virtue for life. And if the task is objectionable, then maybe console yourself in saying, I'm doing this to get a reward directly from God, not from my parents or my husband or my wife. No, I'm doing this directly so I can get a reward from God. St. Mark the ascetic says, think nothing, and do nothing without a purpose directed to God. Make sure that in your endeavor for obedience that you are doing it for God. And then St. Mark continues to say, St. Mark the ascetic, he says, for to journey without direction is wasted effort. If my, um, if my journey is not directed to God, then it's a wasted effort. And I suppose this answers the question that many people say, there are lots of good people in society but they're not Christian. Are their works good? Are their works going to be rewarded? Again, what are we talking about? Earthly reward 
or a spiritual heavenly reward that comes from the Lord. And I suppose any work that falls short for being for the glory of God, then basically it just falls short, unfortunately. So make sure that you think nothing and do nothing without a purpose directed to God. And do not ask yourself if the request is reasonable or not. Just do it for the sake of acquiring the virtue of obedience. As a matter of fact, like I said, the more difficult or unreasonable the request is, the more quickly that you will acquire this virtue. A classic example that is given to us in a beautiful book called The Way of the Ascetics is this. And they actually give this example in The Way of the Ascetics. Your wife tells you, take an umbrella because it's going to rain today. And then you go outside and you look outside and it's beautiful and sunny. There's not a cloud in the sky. There's absolutely no chance it's going to rain. What do you do here? Argue the point or just take the umbrella? It's a test for obedience. And if people give you strange looks because you're carrying an umbrella in the middle of a bright sunny day, maybe just smile and say, they don't know what I'm doing. They don't know what I'm practicing. Seems weird, seems strange, but I tell you what, you know what your journey is and you know where you want to go. So don't worry about what others might think, but worry about what your journey is and where it's leading to. But also to be obedient, it means also that you need to be prompt to do what you're being asked for. The two classical answers that we always hear, particularly from young people, is do I have to? Or in a minute, I'll do it in a minute. And of course that minute can take forever. And an Egyptian minute, that's that's another you know, tangent altogether. I don't think it has any sort of measure to it at all. It could be um, eternity. So if I'm serious about training in the virtue of obedience, I have to force myself to be prompt and to do it straight away. Look at this beautiful story that illustrates um, this beautiful obedience. It's in the Paradise of the Fathers. One of the early monks, his name was Mark the Calligrapher. Mark the Calligrapher. He lived in a monastery with other monks. And the monks made a complaint to the bishop that the abbot of the monastery loves Mark more than all the other monks. So the bishop came to the monastery to investigate the matter. And the abbot said to the bishop, he said, Your grace, come and I'll show you why. And the abbot went knocking on the doors of the cells of all the monks, and each one of them said, I am coming, only to open the door some minutes later. When he knocked on the door of Mark, the door opened instantly, straight away. So the abbot took the bishop inside the cell where Mark was sitting to work, and there in his cell there was a manuscript that Mark was inscribing, and in it there was an unfinished vowel letter. Can you imagine he stopped in the middle of the letter, did not continue to write the letter, and got up to answer the door. When Mark heard the knock on the door straight away, he did not finish the veil but he was, um, that he was inscribing, but he immediately got up to open the door. Of course, when the bishop saw this, he said to the abbot, he said, not only do I understand why you love him, but now I love him too. It's um, obedience, I suppose, to the letter or even to the half letter. <laughs> it's real obedience here. So how long then should I keep practicing this virtue? 
I suppose if we're sincere in doing these exercises uh, in the way that the Church Fathers described to us, it'll probably take you um, maybe just a few weeks to actually start to feel this wonderful virtue in your life. It won't take long at all, believe it or not. And it'll almost become like a habit to become obedient and to do it straight away and to submit to the will of another for the sake of receiving this virtue and receiving its rewards. It might be difficult at the beginning, but later on it will be actually quite effortless. And obedience will become like second nature to you. Easy? Okay, that's our practice for the week, obedience. Secondly, another virtue, the virtue of patience. And I suppose we live in a world nowadays where we so badly and desperately need patience. How many of us, for example, get so upset if we're if the person in the car in front of us does not take off when the you know when the traffic turns green, you know, and we beep them to get them moving? Or how many of us if the coffee that we've ordered takes a few minutes extra, you know, we become a bit frustrated. I think we live in a world where patience has become less and less and is decreased as time goes on. But the importance of patience um, in Scripture is not just given to us by anyone, but it's given to us by the Lord himself. Because when the Lord was speaking about the great tribulation that will come before his second coming, the Lord said something amazing. He said in the Gospel of St. Matthew, he said, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he, but he who endures till the end will be saved. And again, he also says in the Gospel of Luke, by your patience, possess your souls. So in speaking of these last days that precede his second coming, the Lord is telling us that we need to have patience. We need to endure. Very clear. And he also says to us, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And again, he says, because lawlessness will abound the love of many will grow cold. So this means that faith and love will be weakened in those perilous days, but he who endures, or he who is patient till the end, will be saved. And by our patience, we can possess or preserve our soul. So patience may be the virtue that saves a person in those last days. That's how important patience is. It might be the virtue that actually saves a person in those difficult days, in the end of time days. And also the book of Revelation, which speaks about um, the last days as well, again, it stresses the importance of patience in overcoming the difficulties of those days. It says in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So again, it's the patience of the saints. It's what actually makes us attain heaven. Patience. By patience, but I suppose patience is not only just important for the survival in, in the end of uh, days, but it's also important for us to in our spiritual survival nowadays. It's important to us nowadays just as it will be important to the end of time. Look at what St. Paul says in his letter to the Hebrews. He says, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. You are in need of endurance. This is patience. 
So even after doing the will of God, we still need patience in order to receive the promises of God. And St. James in his epistle, he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. So patience is what keeps us going and struggling towards perfection in the hope of this precious fruit that we are all seeking. And again, St. Paul tells us in his letter to the Hebrews, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so how then can I train for this patience? Like any other virtue, I need to ask the guidance of my confession father. And again, I need to pray earnestly to the Lord to guide me in using the many occasions that he grants me every day in order to practice patience. But do not, for example, ask the Lord to give you patience and to give it to you now. Because that in itself is being impatient, isn't it? <laughs> Demanding. Okay? I know that this could be a love relationship between us and God and say, Lord, I really need patience now. But when I demand it in such a way, that in itself is being impatient. Think of the last time that you were impatient in a certain circumstance and ask yourself whether you could have just pushed yourself a little bit further to be patient. And you know what? In all cases, we could have just pushed ourselves that little bit further to be a bit more patient. And who knows how much that could have um, subsided an argument or resulted in um, a calm atmosphere rather than a difficult atmosphere, or we could have gained people over and so forth. You could have gained so much out of it. And God, in his love towards us, he'll give us plenty of chances to practice and acquire this important virtue of patience. But unfortunately, because we are not tuned towards um, the Lord properly, we fail to realize these opportunities to practice, and we miss taking advantage of them. For example, if I am out of a job for quite some time, and I've sent hundreds of resumes, excuse me, and I've sent hundreds of resumes to various places. You know, if I've sent out, um, you know, uh, many resumes and um, to various places, and I've prayed about it, and still there is not a single response that's coming back. And sometimes we might start to blame God and to say, why is God doing this to me? I suppose one simple answer would be is that God is giving me a golden opportunity to practice patience here. How easy is it for God to give us that job? It's so easy. And right away, he can do that. No problem at all. But an instant job will not lead me to eternity like patience will. See, if you make a comparison, it's incredible when you think about it. Jobs come and go. Patience lasts with me in eternity, in heaven. So God gives me a chance to practice and acquire patience. And the sooner that I do it, the sooner that he will give me that job as well. Because he can see my patience and there is a reward for patience. And more often than not, we are actually um, caught up and absorbed in the issue or the problem, trying to find out why God is doing this or trying to solve it in our own human terms without realizing why God, in his mercy, is sending us this problem. That God is sending us this problem or that God has allowed this problem. 
St. Paul tells us in Romans 8, verse 28, he says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. That means everything happens to us for a good reason, if we love God. And a wise person then, as soon as something happens that he or she does not understand, then they should ask themselves and say, what message is God sending me? What virtue does God want me to practice now? Again, St. Paul, <clears throat> he writes to the Hebrews and says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What does this mean? It means that even though initially the problem may not be something that brings us joy, which is natural, but yet if we use it as an exercise of patience, the fruits will give us peace and joy when we practice this patience. One time a mother said, my kids are driving me crazy. Those of you who have got kids will associate with that. My kids are driving me crazy. And my response to her was, you are very lucky. After some strange looks and sort of you know, weird looks, I continued on, on and said, because your kids are actually taking you through the school of virtues to teach you patience and love and care, and all this is for your eternity. The, the looks were still a bit weird, <laughs> but they subsided somewhat. And I said, you should thank God that your kids are driving you crazy because they're helping you to, towards heaven. They're leading you towards heaven. You see, my dear friend, the Bible tells us again and again that problems are actually good for us because they teach us patience. Problems are good for us. The Apostle St. James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that means trials and tribulations create patience in us. And we are warned about this work of patience that it has to be perfected. It has to be perfected through practice before we ourselves reach out to the goal of Christian perfection. In regards to trials and tribulations, um, one of the Desert Fathers, St. John Climacus, says something very nice. He says, he who truly loves God is devoted to his holy will. And no matter what might befall him, he accepts everything as from the hand of God, with the firm faith that all this serves to his spiritual benefit. For the soul that is devoted to God, the misfortunes that befall it in this life serve as steps leading it up to perfection. So our trials, our tribulations, lead us to perfection. It's almost as if you're being put into the furnace to come out really pure. That's what Job said when he went through all his calamities that the Lord had allowed. He said, he is testimony so that I may be as pure as gold. Gold, when it goes into the furnace, it comes out really precious, really refined, and very expensive. You know, its value is increased, you know, dramatically. And maybe it's a similar way too. When we go through trials and tribulations, we are becoming more perfect. 
Also, St. Paul tells us the same thing when he writes to the Hebrews. He says, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character. Character meaning experience here. And commenting on this verse, one of the saints said, you should be ready each day to receive all kinds of afflictions, regarding them as your release from many sins, and you should thank God for them. Through them you may acquire a close and unimpeachable communion with God. So trials make us closer to God. Because remember that the Lord said that he will not test you beyond your means. And he said with the trial or with the temptation or with the tribulation, he will give you the way of escape. What is this way? You can put the other verse into this equation and say that the Lord said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the way is Christ. So if I'm with Christ during the tribulation, then he is the way that I will escape this by being um, patient, by being um, uh, enduring during this difficult time. And once we get our head around that difficulties that are sent our way are actually for our own good, then we can use them to exercise ourselves to be experienced in patience and we'll have no problem acquiring this virtue. So don't, um, don't ever think that you are alone during the trial. Far from it. It's actually the opposite. Can you believe that? Listen to what St. John Chrysostom says. First, he asks a question. He says, if you suffer many trials, do you suppose that God has left you and he, has, and he despises you? He's asking a question. And then he responds by saying, if you do not suffer then he has truly left you. (laughs) Can you imagine that? It's only when we don't suffer that that means that Christ is not there. Strange equation, but that's what it is. That when I'm suffering, it means that the Lord is actually sending these my way or allowing them to happen in order for me to reach perfection. So having recognized the problem um, to be now an opportunity, to practice patience, I have to prepare my mind for using this opportunity to its fullest potential, or like scripture says, to let the patience have its perfect work, as St. James tells us. Back to the interview. It's been now some months since I've had an interview. Nothing is coming my way. And I've resolved in my mind to say, even if it takes two years without a job, I will continue in my patience. And to say to yourself, by comforting yourself, God loves me. And that is why he wants me to receive the incorruptible instead of the corruptible, the heavenly instead of the earthly, and the eternal instead of the temporal. You like this beautiful prayer? This is actually the litany of oblations that we pray in the divine liturgy early in the morning. That the Lord wants to give me the incorruptible instead of the corruptible, the heavenly instead of the earthly, and the eternal instead of the temporal. And strengthen yourself by saying that the sooner I resolve within myself to endure till the end, the sooner that God will solve the problem also for me. One of the saints said, you cannot describe to someone the taste of honey, he has to taste it for himself. What does this mean? It means that you have to try this for yourself. It's not so easy to accept it as words from another, but when you try it yourself, when you exercise yourself in this virtue faithfully, then you will um, taste the sweet results that come from it. 
that come from your exercise. And the results are worth it, believe me, because it will endure with you for the rest of your life. And once you have completed this exercise successfully, uh, the experience will remain with you till the end of uh, your life here on Earth and in eternity with you as well. So you will always go back to that same resolve, you know, because you've, you've set yourself in that motion. motion. You know, you, you put in your mind and in your heart that you're going to be patient. Anything that comes past you, you are patient and you practice patience during that difficult time. And therefore, when things start to improve and then they get worse again, again, you've made that resolve. So you go back to that initial resolve again. So now you are well grounded in patience and you are ready to move to the next step on the ladder that leads to Christian perfection. Easy? No. <laughs> it can take many, many years to actually perfect patience. But you must start. The quicker you start, the quicker you get there. And the more you practice it, the more you become proficient at it. And the Desert Fathers tell us that no matter how difficult the road is to any, uh, on, for any virtue to attain, practice makes perfect. Practice time and time and time again. So now we have spoken about two um, prerequisite virtues, that is obedience and patience. God willing, next week we will cover um, meekness, which is another step in the ladder. We'll also cover chastity, again a higher step in the ladder. We'll cover the virtue of discernment, to be able to discern things and to discern what is right and what is wrong and what is good for me and what isn't and what is from God and what isn't. All these are actually steps in the ladder that lead to Christian perfection. Glory be to our God now forevermore. Amen. Happy to hear comments or um, or um, objections, even threats. Because the reward differs. One of the saints, forgive me, I can't remember who it is, he says, if God rewards you immediately for the good that you've done here on earth, we will become in the habit of business, not holiness or righteousness. So if I do a good act, a righteous act here, for the sake of maybe getting praise of people, I've received my reward here on earth, which is temporal. It's only just for a short term. But if I do it for the sake of Christ, the reward continues with me to eternity. And there's a huge difference. Yeah, but there's, like, for example, people that um, they don't necessarily, not Christian, but they'll go and they help the poor and they'll do all these services and just think, you know, for example, at work they'll say, I don't know, they'll do something that helps someone else, but they don't want any reward for it. Hmm. They're not even thinking about a heavenly reward. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's absolutely, of course, nothing wrong with that. It's actually very noble. But um, for a Christian to add that and to make it for Christ, that's almost like the icing on the cake. It, it crowns it that it's actually for the, for the um, person of Christ himself, which, I don't know, I suppose it's just 
it just makes it something um, holy and eternal and so forth. And don't forget too that um, that if if I if I do it for Christ and I still do it towards these people, I'm actually fulfilling what the commandment of Christ said. Remember when He said, "If you do this to the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me." So it's it's still being done to Christ too. But one is worldly, maybe one is um, earthly, one is heavenly. That's that's the only difference, I think. So. <laughs> but, you know, like, I'm just thinking, for example, in the workplace, uh, if, you know, if you try and practice obedience intentionally, mm. uh, there's a risk that you'll be taken advantage of or, um, you know, you'll be mistreated or, you know, so on and so does, does obedience come with a caveat? Like, does obedience <laughs> come with a certain You don't just, you're not just obedient to anybody and everybody. I strongly believe that we get rewarded for obedience irrespective of who it's to and what the circumstances are. But definitely there are many um, virtues that overlap with each other. So definitely obedience needs discernment and wisdom. Okay, um, Because if, if I'm just obedient and a person, for example, is devious and he wants me to put me on a track that's going to lead me away from God and I'm obedient to them, I can lose a lot of the virtues that I've attained and lose my eternity as a whole. So again, you know, it needs to be practiced with wisdom. And that's why this whole um, concept of training is important. You know, if something is sort of, um, is not making sense or is worrying me and, you know, and with the spirit of discernment that I'm questioning it, then two heads are better than one. Because you and your confession, Father, you think together, you pray together, you pray about it, fast about it, and then maybe work out, you know, what God is actually intending. But definitely, God will reward a person who's obedient. Okay, but we're talking here about obedience in the Lord. Very, very important that we actually, um, you know, have some sort of boundaries, I suppose, that you know that I'm doing this for the Lord. So therefore, anything that is not going to glorify the Lord. I have the right to maybe object about it. But also we forget one important thing is that we forget that we have a strong defender who is Christ himself. So for example, if somebody is is malice and intends to hurt and harm and take advantage of me, um, rather than me taking uh, revenge for myself, I think I would rather let the Lord do it because his revenge is much more... Um, Wiser and much more loving and much more, I suppose you know, um, long term. So, so yeah, it, it needs a balance definitely. So, but a recommendation would be is that if your boss asks you something to do, usually it's a good thing to to obey. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Again, by guidance from your trainer, your confession father, is that um, the church fathers recommend that one virtue at a time. Once you've mastered one virtue, that you go on to the next. Okay, But of course, that doesn't mean that I can't practice some virtues together. Because like I said, there are virtues that overlap. For example, the virtue of love really enters into all other virtues. And it's, you know, it's the summit of all virtues. So if I don't have love, how am I going to practice obedience, for example? If I don't have love, how am I going to practice patience or meekness or humility or chastity or discernment and so forth? So, the, the, you know, some virtues can be practiced together, but be careful that you end up being, um, you know, um, sort of spread thinly throughout all the virtues and you don't actually know what you are doing with the virtues as well. So it's, it's you know, it's, um, it's a tricky one, so it needs guidance. And that's why I recommend sometimes that in the longer periods of fasts that you um, discuss with your confession father that you actually take a virtue to practice during that fast and see how you go with it. And then if you master it well, that's fine. There's many other virtues then that I can take on. If I don't, what's wrong with practicing it over and over and over again? Even some of our desert fathers practiced a certain virtue for tens of years. Tens of years. And I suppose if we, if we were to ask them and say, have you reached perfection in this? They say, no, I've only just scratched the surface. There's, you know, I suppose that there's so much depth to each virtue and it's what you want to take it to. Again, this concept of training is very important in the spiritual um, um, attaining of virtues. We'll see everyone next Tuesday. But be careful that the Tuesday after is actually Cub Day, so it's a public holiday, so there will be no uh, no meeting the way. Um, and then we'll resume the Tuesday after that, God willing. God bless. <coughs>